0: Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come, that you would come among us into our hearts and minds and open up your word for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the mid-2000s, Harvard professor Ben Shahar made headlines when his class at Harvard became the most popular on campus. For years, the most popular class had been Economics 101. But all of a sudden, the most popular class was Positive Psychology, the Science of Happiness. At its peak, 1,400 students each year took this class. I don't know whether the students were happier after taking the class, but who wouldn't want to study happiness? We're always doing that, aren't we? Either formally or informally. Trying to figure out what it means to live the good life and how to achieve that. Happiness may be the most elusive thing in the world. It's kind of like trying to grab a fistful of water. It's one of those things that when you focus on it, it seems to elude you. It's one of those things where you kind of have to come at it without aiming for it. I want to plant a very disturbing thought in your head this morning. What if you and I have no idea what will make us happy? What if you and I have no idea what will bring us abundant life? That's half of what Jesus says in John 10 today. He says that by calling us sheep. That may be the most insulting thing Jesus says to us. I used to read this passage and think that Jesus was just saying something about himself. He was saying he is the best leader who can be trusted to lead us to good things, period. But now I see that he's also telling us something about ourselves. He's telling us something about ourselves when he uses this imagery of sheep and shepherds. One of the things that helped me understand that was a book by Philip Keller called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. For many years, Philip Keller was a shepherd by trade and a devoted Christian. And throughout his book, he points out how helpless and unintelligent sheep are. (laughs) Left to themselves they will keep grazing and feeding on the same hills until once lush feeding grounds turn into desert wastelands. And they pollute their own ground until it is corrupt with disease and parasites. And they'll keep doing that even if much better grazing land is just around the corner. Keller describes how even the healthiest and strongest sheep can strand themselves. He says that a sheep may lay down in a depression or small hollow in the ground to, to rest and relax and stretch out. But then suddenly, their center of gravity will shift to the point that all of a sudden they're on their back and all their legs are in the air. And they'll start to panic and paw and that will only make the situation worse to the point that they can't get back on their feet on their own. The shepherd must come and set them aright. Left to graze on their own, Keller continues, sheep will eat poisonous plants that if eaten by young lambs will kill them. And he says that sheep had even been known to walk into to open fires. <laughs> so when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd in verse 11, he isn't just saying that he is able to lead and take care of us. He is saying that there is no hope for us without him. And so that's what leads me to say, we have no idea what will make us happy, what will give us abundant life. Just like sheep, we may think that we do. Have you ever wondered why Psalm 23 says, you anoint my head with oil? Why would anyone anoint a sheep's head with oil? I always thought that it was kind of a mixture of metaphors and And the psalm was talking about God anointing human's head with oil. But Philip Keller points out that in the wild, there's various types of flies that will afflict sheep and attempt to plant their eggs on their head and in the the soft membrane of their nose tissue. And if those eggs hatch, larvae come out, which burrow their way into the sheep's head and torment it to the point that to get rid of that affliction, sheep will knock their heads against posts, and trees, and rocks. And in extreme cases, some sheep have even killed themselves in an attempt to get relief. But all of this can be avoided if the shepherd takes a mixture of oil and places it on the sheep's head. That will keep the flies away. Like sheep, we may think that we have the solution to what ails us. But the only remedy is to return to the shepherd. When I was in junior high, I knew what would give me abundant life. (laughs) My junior high Sunday school teacher encouraged us to start praying on our own. And he gave us this, this little notebook, and he said, start praying for specific things. Write down what you're praying for, and write down the date you started praying for it. And then when God answers your prayer... Record the date that he answered your prayer. So I started praying. I knew what would make me happy. Video games. My family didn't have any video games. And the coolest ones were on computer. So I started praying for a computer. And you know what? Two amazing things happened. I got a computer. And I also realized that a computer wouldn't make me happy. We moved from Chicago, when I started praying for a computer, to Philadelphia. And as soon as we moved to Philadelphia, I got a computer. And now I had a computer. But I didn't have any friends to enjoy it with. And I realized that what I thought would make me happy, didn't. And God taught me that friends are more valuable than video games. What are the computers in your life? What is it that you think will give you abundant life. If you do some research on the happiest people on earth, you can find some nuggets of wisdom, but it also leaves a lot to be desired. Do we have a doctor around? Okay, cool. Why don't we stop and pray for a moment? Father, whatever is is going on, um, we know that you are our good shepherd, and we know that you are the great physician, and um, we pray that, uh, we pray for your healing and for your care in this situation, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Do you know which country in the world is the happiest? According to an English university that does this study year after year, it's Denmark. And what's the secret to Denmark's happiness? Low expectations. (laughs) Isn't that a bummer? The key to happiness is, don't get your hopes up. Be prepared to be disappointed. In a 60 Minutes interview, a Danish newspaper columnist was being interviewed about this, and he was reflecting on it, and the Danish guy said, If you didn't tell me about the survey, I wouldn't believe that Denmark was the happiest place, because everybody complains all the time. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that the happiest country on earth doesn't necessarily recognize that it's the happiest place? And isn't it interesting that the reason they are happy is because they have low expectations? During one interview, an American journalist said to Dane, you know, when Americans hear about this, many of them are going to want to move to Denmark. To which the Dane replied, they'll probably be disappointed. (laughs) On the one hand, that Danish mindset teaches us some very important things. They don't expect that the right job will fulfill all their dreams. They don't expect that their spouse will solve all their problems. They don't expect that more and more money Will make them more and more joyful. In short, they don't expect people or stuff to be their savior. And that is a great truth to know. But on the other hand, low expectations doesn't seem to be what God wants for us. In verse 10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. That doesn't sound like Jesus is saying, lower your expectations. It sounds like he's saying, Increase them. Not just life, abundant life. Whether you're a Dane or a Harvard student or just a regular person, not a lot of people seem to be happy. Whether it's the surprise of the Danish journalist who's surprised to hear that Denmark was the happiest country, or whether it's legions of Harvard students studying the science of happiness, the world seems to be confirming what Jesus is saying in this passage. We do not know what will give us abundant life. Just like sheep, our patterns and actions are stupid and self-destructive. And Jesus tries to drill this truth into us. It's a truth that God has been trying to instill into his people throughout the Bible and throughout the history of God's people, a truth that they have a hard time understanding. In the Old Testament, God's people thought they knew what would make them happy. They wanted a king. All the other nations around them had a king. And so they went to God and said, we want a king. This will make us happy. And God warned them, well, actually, it won't. Actually, your kings are going to oppress you. But they said, no, this is what we're going to keep praying for. And God said, okay, I'll let you have a king. And some of the kings were good, but many of them made life miserable. One of the good kings, King David, knew what would make him happy. He saw a beautiful woman outside his window. He said, I want that woman. She will make me happy. And for a little while, but then life got a lot worse because of that. Throughout the ages, God's people have been like sheep, been confused about what would give them abundant life both then and now. I am still a sheep, and I still get tempted to pray for and hope in computers. This cycle of placing our hope in things and getting let down is what Buddhism calls the cycle of samsara, the cycle of suffering. To live is essentially to suffer, to be fooled that happiness is possible. But Jesus offers us a way out of the cycle of samsara. He offers us a way out of the futile search for abundant life. He says, I am unlike any other shepherd or leader that you have had. I am the good shepherd, and I came for you to have abundant life. But this abundant life may not be what we expect. Like the term implies, abundant life is not about lowering your expectations, but about increasing them, finding a life and contentment that you've dreamed of. But it may not look like what we imagine. To see this, we need to step beyond the Gospel of John and consider the lives of some who clearly heard the voice of the Good Shepherd and followed him to abundant life. Three of the most prominent characters in the rest of the New New Testament are the Apostles Paul, Peter, and John. All of them radiated intense and consistent joy. But their circumstances are nothing that we would wish for. The places Jesus led them are not places that researchers would call happy. Paul was kicked out of one town after another. He was beaten time and again. He was put in prison after prison after prison and finally killed for following the Good Shepherd. But yet, in his writings, he radiates this joy of how Jesus had taught him to find contentment in all things. Not in a positive thinking kind of way, but in a deep, genuine way. He had been given abundant life and could rejoice even in prison. Peter was crucified upside down. Yet from his writings, even as he and the rest of the church faced extreme trials, he knew that God was at work and he could encourage himself and others because of the life he had found in Jesus. And John was exiled and put in prison away from his friends and family. As you look at the lives of these three people, there are two logical conclusions. Either they were psychotic They enjoyed being inflicted with pain. Or, they had been given such a deep, joyful, abundant life that nothing else could detract from it. Their experiences will not be suggested in self-help books and in seminars as the way to find happiness. But in this passage, Jesus makes a couple things very clear. We have no idea what will give us happiness and abundant life. He makes it clear that it may not be what we expect, but that if we follow the voice of the Good Shepherd, He will lead us to abundant life, and it may not be what we expect, but when it enters our lives, we will know it. I want to end by telling you one last story. A number of years ago, there was an Old Testament scholar who was traveling throughout the Middle East. And he met an Arab shepherd and began talking with this man and the the shepherd shared how he went about shepherding. And the shepherd showed this scholar the sheep pen where the sheep would stay at night. There were four walls, but in the middle of one of the walls there was a an opening, as Father Jonathan pointed out. And the scholar said, well, this is where the sheep stay at night. Yeah? But there's no door. And this Arab man, who was not a Christian, said, I am the door. He said, at night when the sheep go in, I lay down in the doorway, and I am the door. No one goes in or out without getting through me. That man intuitively was explaining what Jesus says twice in this passage. I am the gate. Sometimes it's hard to know where we're at in Psalm 23. You know, is, are we experiencing the Good Shepherd leading us as an existential reality is a thing we can point to and we can say, yes, I am feeding in lush pastures right now and there is the Shepherd. Or is the Shepherd going ahead of us to prepare a table before us, to, to pull out the poisonous weeds that we would choke and die on if we encountered it on our own? Sometimes when we say that Jesus is our Good Shepherd, It's something that we can cling on to in the moment right now. And other times it's a confession of faith. But wherever we are, he promises us to lead us to abundant life. Even though we don't know how to get there on our own. And he promises, even though we may not know how or where he is leading us, to be our gate and to protect us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are our good shepherd. Even when we can't see where you're leading us or how you're leading us or if you're leading us, we confess by faith that you are. We thank you that you know us so much better than ourselves. And we pray that you would increase our trust that you are leading us to abundant life and that you know what that is so much better than we do. We ask that you would guide us and we thank you for all that you do for us. In your name we pray. Amen. (coughs)